good thing to pray. And maybe even as you uh, spend time during the week, we encourage you um, to open up the Bible on your own, uh, that I don't want this to be the only time you get fed the Word of God during the week. And so if you need some help with a plan for how to go about reading the Bible, uh, we can get that information to you as well. But that would be a good thing to pray before you, you start reading the Word. God, these are your words of life, and would you come right now and awaken our hearts and illumine our minds and magnify Jesus as we look into your Word. That's our prayer. And so each morning uh, when we get together on a Sunday, I take us through a passage in God's Word because I know what you don't need to hear is just my thoughts on life, but we need to hear what God actually says. And so we start at the beginning of some passage of Scripture. Usually it's starting at the beginning of a book and going to the end of that book. Uh, We're taking a little break from that, and right now just doing a short four-week series with two sermons in Matthew and two in 1 Corinthians, which we started last week focusing on laboring for the harvest. This command that Jesus gives to his disciples, sharing with them the good news that we saw last week along with some bad news and a command. And so we're going to, a lot of you were gone last week because it was Labor Day weekend, and so just to kind of get ourselves back into where we were looking, Um, I want to just go over quickly, here's what we hit on last week, and then we'll jump into the passage for this week. So last week, we looked at Matthew 9, the very end of Matthew chapter 9. And we saw in that passage that Jesus, seeing the great crowds that were gathered around, his response to the crowds wasn't like my response to crowds often is. And I don't know if you're much like we mean, we talked about this last week, that often our response to crowds is, well, these are people that are just in my way. I'm trying to live life, and there's a whole bunch of traffic out here. There's a whole bunch of people, now i got to wait in line. And we forget in a crowd to look at individual people as individual souls with great needs. But Jesus didn't do that. And so when Jesus would see a crowd, it says here in Matthew 9, that he looked on them with compassion and saw the people in the crowds as people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we looked at that last week, and the application, the challenge that I gave to us was this. What if we were to be people who would ask God, God, would you help me to see the crowds? Would you help me to see the students that I go to school with? Would you help me to see the people that I work with? Would you help me to see the people in my neighborhood? Would you help me to see them like Jesus sees them? Give me a heart of compassion. And I warned you that if you pray and ask, if we were to do this, to pray and ask God to give us this, it would shift our perspective a bit. Our attitudes might change. How Who we spend time with might change. How we spend our money might change. If we actually had more and more of the heart of Jesus towards the, uh, towards the crowds around us. So, so I think you might find different ways. I saw that happen in my own life this week in praying that more often. Went to the state training school yesterday. Won't explain all the things that we got to witness there. But in witnessing that, I had been praying that God would give me a heart of compassion as I saw the crowds. And we got to see some rough stuff yesterday. And, and, and thankfully, God was at work in my heart because I had been praying that way, that God would help me to see the crowd with a heart of compassion as people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And that changes our perspective on things. So we saw that last week. And then the passage ended like this, with Jesus saying to his disciples, good news, harvest is plentiful, 
bad news, the laborers are few. There's a lot of people out there ready to be brought into the kingdom. But the problem is that God intends to do that through laborers, through workers. And there's not many of them, Jesus told his disciples. And so his command to them was start praying. And not just pray, but pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. And so a few of us, uh, painfully few of us, gathered together on Sunday night last week. We knew the scheduling was bad because Labor Day weekend. But only a few of us gathered, uh, and we spent time walking around our community praying that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into the harvest. Right? And then, that kind of gets us through where we were at last week. But I want to get us up to what we're going to look at this week. We're just looking at a few verses this week, but some stuff happened between the end of chapter 9 and the end of chapter 11 that we're looking at today. So in our family, what we did this week is we just, during our time of family worship together, we just read through Matthew chapter 10 and 11. And here's what we noticed. Right after Jesus tells these disciples, hey, why don't you pray earnestly that God would send people out? Guess what Jesus does with 12 of them? sends them out. Okay, you're the answer to the prayer. You were praying that I would send people out. It's you. You two, go. You two, go. You're sent out into the harvest, right? And so that's what Jesus did. But Jesus wasn't telling them, hey, (laughs) this is going to be slick. The harvest is plentiful, so you can expect smooth sailing as you go out and proclaim the gospel. That's not what Jesus told them. If you would keep reading in chapter 10, listen to what Jesus said to them. Verse 16, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So Jesus, the good shepherd, looks at his sheep, and normally a shepherd protects his his sheep from the wolves, but Jesus is saying to his sheep, I'm sending you out, and you're you're just a lamb. I get that. And I'm sending you out into the world, and there's a bunch of wolves out there. Warning them, if you're going to do what I'm commanding you to do, it's not going to go easy and well for you all the time. You're going out like sheep amongst wolves. He even tells them this in verse 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, this is not a very good kind of recruiting strategy. It doesn't seem like. Hey, go out there. You're going to be like sheep among wolves. You might get devoured, and people are going to hate you. Oh, and by the way, that's not just like strangers that you share the gospel. It's not going to just cause a rift between you and your neighbors. He says this in verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. That the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you identify yourself with Jesus, that might even cause some division within your own household. The people that you love dearly, this might cause a separation in that relationship to take place. So this is what Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 10. And even though Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, verse chapter 11, we see this. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And so we're going to see pretty clearly that even though Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, and you've seen this, haven't you? We know there's lots of lost people who we desire to share the gospel with so that they might repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, people in your own family, people that you work with. But the reality is, many who see and hear clearly Jesus revealed to them do not repent and believe. That's what happened in Jesus' day as well. And so that brings us then to the passage that we're looking at today. 
You see the context. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And then he sends people out after they pray that he would send people out. He sends them out, and he tells them it's going to get ugly, basically. A lot of people are going to hear this gospel and not respond with repentance and belief. And so uh, that's what brings us to the passage today. And so today's sermon is called The Harvest is Hard and Laborers Need Rest. And so our custom is that we stand together as God's word is read. And so would you please do that as we look today at Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 30. Let me just pray really quick and we'll jump right into it. Father, we already prayed in our singing. And so I just echo that prayer again. Come. Awaken our hearts, illumine our minds, magnify Jesus Christ. Come and renew our faith. And would you speak truth into us through your words of life. We thank you for it. It's a gift. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so God's word from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. God's word says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor And are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so that was super long introduction, but like I said, the passage itself is short, and so we'll get through it relatively quickly. So stay there in your Bible, Matthew eleven twenty five to 30. Really easy to kind of divide this passage up into two points. The first one is, verses 25 to 27, not everyone gets it. You have in your bulletin a sermon outline that you might want to take notes on, some application questions below that. But the truth is, not everyone gets it. You'll note at the beginning of this passage that Jesus is praying. It says Jesus declared, but look at who Jesus is talking to. Did you notice that as I read this in verse 25? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is praying. He's talking to the Father who is the Lord of heaven and earth. So Jesus is praying, and what he does is he's thanking him. And look at what he's thanking him for. He's thanking him for the fact that God has hidden these things. Now, I should tell you, these things are the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, which has been the theme throughout Matthew so far. So the, the good news of God's saving rule, some people just get it, and some people don't. It's hidden from some, and it's revealed to others. You see that there? And now, if you had, let's say you had two different groups of people. You've got like some wise, educated, religious people on this side, and you've got some uneducated little kids over on this side. And some people are going to get it, and some people aren't. Now, naturally, we would think that if, if there's those two groups, uneducated little kids on this side and 
wise, educated, religious people on this side. If we think naturally, who's going to get it and who's not? Well, of course you're going to think, well, the wise, educated people are going to be the ones that get it, not the uneducated little children. But what does it say here? Jesus is thanking the Father that the Father has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Kind of the opposite of what we might expect, isn't it? The reality is, it's not how educated or wise you are. It happens according to the Father's will. And so, for example, I read this quote this week. Uh, Stephen Hawking, you know Stephen Hawking, a brilliant scientist, right? Super, super brilliant. Here's what he said. I don't have it on the screen, so you just have to listen. He said this, Before we understand science, it is natural to believe that God created the universe. But now... He says, science offers a more convincing explanation. What I meant by, and he's defending something he said, we would know the mind of God, is we would know everything that God would know if there were a God, which there isn't. I'm an atheist. Okay, So we've got this man who's one of the most brilliant scientists that's ever lived saying, I I get, like in your weak little uneducated minds, before you know any science, it's going to make sense to you that, yeah, there's a God who created the universe. But once you start to learn some science, we don't need God anymore. Right? And that, that's, that's what he's saying. That's why he's an atheist, because he's smart enough in his mind that science explains everything well enough for him that he has no need for a God. And so that's a great picture for us of what Jesus is saying here. These are some wise and educated people, and from them the good news of the gospel which includes God's creation of all things and his ownership of all things, seems to just totally miss them. So while he might seem like a brilliant man, in fact, the Bible would say that he's a fool because it says in Psalm 14, 1, the, the fool says in his heart, there is no God, right? It's the definition of foolishness. So there are scores. Stephen Hawking's not the only one. There's lots of well-educated, very articulate, very talented and very influential people who just don't get it. And there are scores of uneducated children who live in abject poverty, who don't even know their own birthday. Nobody in their family does. They don't have though there's there's plenty of kids in that situation that know and get the things, the gospel of the kingdom. Right? And so it's not it's not according to uh, our kind of world standards of well here's the smart people get it and the other people don't. What's the determining factor? Verse 27 goes further and it says this. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Okay? So, so, so a determining factor in all of this is not how educated you are, how smart, how, much, how, how wise and understanding you are. But it's the gracious will of our Father who reveals himself to us through the Son. That's what we see in verses 25 to 27. And I think a couple of application points then that flow out of that would be this. We need to recognize that not everyone will get it, but some will. So as we pray for and labor for the gospel to advance, not everyone's going to get it. And the hard thing is, this is what's hard to swallow, even people that we love deeply. 
people that we long. We have maybe been praying and praying and laboring and laboring for people that we love to hear the good news of Jesus and turn from sin and trust in Him and live to worship Him. But not everyone that we love will get it. But the good news is that some will. Some of you are heartbroken because you do feel as though you have prayed and prayed, maybe for months, maybe for years, and labored and labored that people that you love would hear the gospel and believe it. And it just seems like nothing's coming of it. And I would encourage you, because of especially what we're going to see in the next few verses, keep praying. Pray that God would soften their hearts and give them hearts humble like little children ready to receive. And keep sharing the gospel because you never know when the truth might someday break through to a heart that used to be a heart of stone that has now been made a heart of flesh. And they need to keep hearing the good news about Jesus. So don't give up. Second application point would be this. You may not be getting it. I don't want to assume that just because you're here on a Sunday morning, like, oh yeah, I totally understand and believe the gospel. I have given my life to Jesus. I don't know that everybody here has done that. And I would just say to you, are you like a little child, humble and ready to receive? Because here's the truth. Sometimes the people who have the hardest time getting it are those who have known better all their lives. Educated, religious, good people like you show up on a Sunday morning to a worship service. It's hard for us sometimes to recognize that we are to receive Christ as, as like a little child. But sometimes we're, we're, we're thinking through all these things and and we forget to be like a kid. And you know what kids do? Kids rest and kids trust and kids know that they need some help. They know that they need stuff and they can't get it for themselves. So parents of infants, of whom we have many right now, your child last night woke up and cried. Your child doesn't know any words to communicate what it is that they need, but they trusted that if I cry, and the reason they cried is because they couldn't feed themselves. The reason they cried is they couldn't change their own diaper. And so all they know how to do is just to cry out. And their expectation, they have a lot of trust, children do, don't they? A lot of faith that if I cry out, somebody's going to come and provide for me. Somebody's going to come and, and feed me or change my diaper, and they're going to figure out what I need because I don't know how to tell it to them. Little children know how to ask and receive. Little children know how to rest. You know what they do after you're done with that? Just go right back to sleep. Well, sometimes <laughs> they go right back to sleep, right? And they do it a lot. They're fine. They know somebody else is going to take care of them. So little kids do a great job of resting and trusting. And we can learn a lot from them. All right, second point. It seems to change direction a little bit, certainly change to what's emphasized in verses 28 to 30. Because in 25 to 27, we saw this biblical theme of election. So God is revealing himself to some and hiding the good news from other people. So, so you see that kind of thing in 25 to 27, but then 28 to 30 gets so personal. Where Jesus says this, come to me all. You see that right away at the beginning of verse 28? Jesus' call is, come to me. You who have been working hard and laboring hard under all sorts of, come to me. It's such a personal 
invitation that we see from Jesus there at the beginning of verse 28. And I want you to notice what it says next. Come to me, all who labor. What does that mean? Hold on a second. Because we've been talking about Jesus said that, that he needs laborers for the harvest. So when he's saying here, come to me, all who labor, who's he talking to? Is he just talking to the people that are working hard to advance the gospel? Is that the only laborers that he's talking to? And that's what I thought. That's the way I've always heard this used. Like this is a verse for people that are like really struggling. They're just, they're worn out and weary from, from life. Work is hard. Family life is hard. Everything's hard. And so Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so that gets cross-stitched onto a pillow, and we like it, right? And so is Jesus just talking to people who are worn out from busy schedules? And initially, that's what I was thinking, because that's the way I've always heard it. And so I even had like an application point written up in my sermon for that. But here's the reality. Sometimes our view of what we see in Scripture is a lot smaller than what it actually says. And a little bit of studying can find that out. And so here's what I was going to say. Because I don't think this is wrong. It's just way smaller than what Jesus is saying here. I was going to say to you this. We're a people who just need to keep going. Right? We don't know how to rest. Anybody, anybody here today say, hey, you know what? I could use some rest. A few people, maybe, uh, could say, like, I could use some rest. But we feel like we can't rest. And so, like, our calendar runs our life. So we need calendars and we need caffeine. Because I can't rest, and so I don't have time to rest. That would be the best thing right now, but I need caffeine so I can keep going and get everything accomplished on my calendar. That's us. So that was going to be my application of this verse, saying, so we don't know how to do rest very well. So what we do is we go and we go and we go until we crash. We can't do it anymore. So then we just sit like I can't do anything. And so I'm going to turn on the TV. I'm going to scroll through social media. I'm going to watch Netflix because I can't do anything anymore. I'm done. Right. And so that was going to be my application. And that, that could be a good application. But this passage is saying way more than that. It's not saying, hey, you need to learn how to rest. So what is Jesus saying when he says, all who labor? And if you look at the rest of the passage, and the way, remember that Matthew was writing this to Jewish people, so people that were religious, people that had what we call the Old Testament. They had the Hebrew Scriptures, and they had the law of God. And oftentimes, they referred to the law. The law was referred to as a yoke. And a yoke is put on some oxen to guide them as they go through and do their work. But it had become, under the ministry of the Pharisees, the yoke of the law had become this heavy weight. Because God's people were feeling and seeing, you know what? The law is hard to follow. I can't eat this. I can't eat this. I'm supposed to do this on this day, but not this on this day. All of the law, like I'm supposed to honor my father and mother. I'm supposed to, all these, like it's hard. The law is hard, and so the law had become for these religious people something that they were laboring under. They were seeking to earn God's favor. And so when Jesus says this invitation, come to me all who labor, he's not only talking to those who are laboring for the gospel, he's talking to those who are laboring and trying to earn the favor of God. Religious Jewish people to whom Matthew is writing the gospel. Right? So it's much bigger than just 
Christians who are tired that Jesus is saying this to. Jesus is saying this to non-Christians who are working hard, trying their hardest to be good people, trying to be religious people, and trying in that way to earn the favor of God. And Jesus says to them, you're laboring and you're heavy laden, but come to me and I will give you rest. And, and again, rest is more than just like a nap. Like initially I had this picture of like, oh, rest. That looks like me sitting in a recliner with my Bible on my lap coming to Jesus with some coffee right next to me. That's what he's talking about. And I don't think that's what he's talking about. The rest that he's talking about, you could read about it in Hebrews chapter 4. He's talking about an eternal rest. That, that those who come to identify themselves with Jesus are invited into an eternal rest in Jesus. A rest from striving and working and laboring in order to gain God's favor. A rest from thinking that salvation depends on you. We need to have this reminder. So as we think of application of this, well, actually, before we get to application, we better go just a little bit further and finish the last two verses. So let's do that. Look at verses 29 and 30. Jesus says to all those who labor, Come to me, take my yoke upon you. So he's not saying, you have freedom in me now to do whatever you want. He's saying, no, you're going to put a different yoke on. But instead of the yoke of the law driving you in your life, that's a heavy yoke. You're going to put my yoke on you. Learn from me, Jesus says. And then listen to these beautiful words. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is good news. And so as we think of application of this, this is what I want us to think about. That some of you are walking around with heavy yokes because you feel like everything hinges on you. It's okay to confess that. If you walk around with a heavy yoke because you feel like everything hinges on you. Some of you, that's your approach to God. Like you're trying hard to be good religious people and do the right thing. And compared to many others, you're probably doing pretty well. But it's wearing you out. You often feel like you're just kind of going through some religious motions. You need to hear this invitation from Jesus. Come to me. Stop laboring to earn my favor. You're not going to get there on your own. Come to me, Jesus says. And some of you need to hear this because you are laboring for the harvest. You are a follower of Jesus. You've come to him for salvation, but you have been spending, pouring out your life for the sake of gospel ministry. You're involved in all sorts of serving in the church and all sorts of finding ways to pray for and reach out to neighbors around you. That is consuming your life and it's wearing you out. And the answer from Jesus here isn't, hey, just take a nap and quit everything. I think the answer is as you continue to do that work, because the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few, so you need to be sent out to the harvest. But as you do that, remember, 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 remember this, that you are headed to an eternal rest in Jesus and you didn't earn it for yourself. And so work hard for the sake of the gospel Pour yourself out in ministry to others. Pray earnestly. But in the end, we need to be comforted with the reality 
that salvation, not ours or anybody else's, depends ultimately on us. And that, I think, is very encouraging and comforting for us, and it allows us to find rest even as we labor. And so I would end by just encouraging us in this way. Church, let's continue laboring for the harvest. Let's keep praying for the laborers and praying for the lost. And church, let's keep coming back to Jesus time after time after time as we look forward together to the day when we'll enter his eternal rest because we need him every single day. Let's pray. Father, we do confess that. We do confess how needy we are, how easy it is for us to hang a yoke on ourselves that's really burdensome, thinking somehow that everything depends on us. But God, I pray that you would help us to work hard and to be faithful at proclaiming the gospel because you tell us to, that we would faithfully pray earnestly but at the same time that you would help us to rest and just hand over to other people this invitation from Jesus to come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden, all who labor, because we know that you give rest. And not just a quick little nap, but an eternal rest. And we long for that. And so would you help us to find rest and hope and peace in you, even as We continue to labor day after day for the sake of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.